cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares, I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they gonna say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return, and I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Well, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tim Al. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures down 8 and a quarter. NZ Futures down 23. We've been down kind of every morning, but we don't know uh, we certainly do not end that way. We end up to the upside seemingly lately all the time. We'll see if that uh, happens again. Uh, now, Target is oversold. They're all oversold. Everything's oversold. So as soon as Target comes out and says they're oversold by uh, Wells Fargo, it's up uh, 261 I wonder if those guys bought some on Friday. I'm just, just saying. I mean, it's, it's really stunning. The, the rules that apply to small firms don't seem to apply to big firms. But I guess that's the world we're in. I guess got to... Stop complaining that, I guess. But uh, do we have Mr. Uh, Greg with us? Chief. What's up, man? The sun isn't up, but it's uh, looking good for today, huh? Yeah, hey, uh, here we go. I have, I'm going to test your math. Now, as a crush guy, uh, your math is, is pretty good. Uh, here's now, if you if you want to, uh, here's Diana Olick. She does, uh, she's on the air at CNBC, and she writes once in a while. Um, before I start the conversation, I'm going to have to ask you the Inevitable question, how many fat people can dance on the head of a pin? Uh, how long is your pin? <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho, um, hey, should we mention the uh, the lady who forgot to put her pants on or under her chaps that was going to Lollapalooza on Friday night? You know, that's just par for the course. I would have uh, would have appreciated some more of that sitting outside watching uh, people cross the loop for the... What do you think of that, Matt? Yeah. Uh, Concert. I gotta look. Th- I had to look this up. What's going on with a lady without pants? Well, no, she had the chaps on, the riding chaps, but they don't. You know, you're supposed to wear like jeans or something under them. Well, she kind of forgot the jeans part. Oh, just hanging out. Just kind of literally hanging out. <laughs> yes. Just uh, walking down the street like if if you looked at her, something was wrong with you. It's kind wow. of an odd deal, but uh, Lollapalooza brings out a lot of interesting things. So I'm gonna test your math, Greg. I was diverted there for a second. Um, when you have. Uh, First of all, we've redefined recession in the last five days. Um, we've redefined a lot of things in the past. <laughs> yeah, we've redefined a lot of things. Um, yeah, when you when you have problems, you just change the name. That's right. Well, it's just. Uh, um, what do you mean that faucet's leaking? It's uh, it's 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 sprinkling the house. You know, just saying. right. It's actually good for the house. It's actually good for the house. Yeah. The, if it, if once it makes down the bottom, we'll check the bottom grain. So here we have. Uh, the median price of houses went up to 416 last week, as you saw, um, from 406. But the median price of uh, the median salary is probably up to 40, <laughs> which is strange. So it's like one tenth the price of a house, which is uh, it's got to be a new low on salaries. But now, uh, Diana Olick says, "Hope now I'm, I'm sitting. I'm pretty good at math, or at least I used to be. Home price gains are cooling fast." is demand wanes and supply builds. Now, you might say, gee, Lucy, didn't we just raise the median price of homes uh, just like last week? Hey, you can't, now, Greg, you can't look at this stuff. I try to explain this to you. Every time I see you, you can't, you can't look at things the way people used to look at stuff, even though you're a young guy. The annual rate of price appreciation 
fell two percentage points from 19.3% to 17.3%. The annual rate of price appreciation fell. What so that's a derivative. That's, yeah, I mean, I, right? I seem to recall that from freshman year I took calculus. That's the second. So at 2% a year, if this drops, we're going to be going up 15% next year, 13% the year after, 12% the year after. What, what exactly does anybody get a raise anywhere? Now, is is that good? I, I suppose it's better than going up, but is it is it good? Well, that means to me in about what thirty six years or so, yeah, we get uh, a full hundred percent decline, or it goes in half. No, it gets down. It just stays steady in in nine and a half years. Down two percent a year. And then no, we're down to the well, we're found down to the Fed's two percent in eight years, eight and a half. Yeah, it's not. It's a little slower so, than uh, Paul seems to think. Don't you think? And it's a lot slower than I'd imagine most traders would <laughs> tell you. Yeah. Also, because we're looking at things like you know commodity indexes and equity indexes and and stuff like that, where the numbers aren't necessarily. Uh, lower than last year or lower than a couple of years ago. Everything's kind of up. And if you continue that trend, you know, it's <laughs> that's the opposite way of saying what they're saying. It's like saying the price of a used car only went up 18% last year instead of 20 we were gaining on it. Yeah, and that's a good thing for us. It's a good thing. Um, well, again, we're changing, we're changing our massaging the names in order to accommodate our narratives. Yes. So in true government fashion, what they want to do is make themselves look good. So take everything what they say with a grain of salt, I guess. Um, why is it that this has probably been going on my whole life? I think somebody's going on worse lately, but why do I get more and more aggravated with people whose salary I pay lying to me? Hmm. Now, if if you I tell me, I, I tune most of what they say out. We just kind of, we're just looking at numbers, right? So what they think is kind of irrelevant is until, uh, you know, they shock the markets and they shock the expectations. But really, numbers are numbers. You can't fudge them for too long unless you actually change the indexes, which they do too. Which, so. which they do as well. So. <laughs> All right, hey, how about giving us yeah. a, a quick review? Any, like what you were saying, I was hearing on the way in, is a lot of these commodity prices have dropped from their peaks. But now... When you talk about prices, there's a million moving parts. It's a, if you did a, a regression analysis, your your line would be pretty long, right? Of uh, your your lines and your amount of equations would be pretty long. Uh, God, I remember I took that. That's the good ago. thing about what we have here. Everything's fairly transparent, and you can see which way the prices are moving and kind of who's doing what in terms of uh, disclosure regulations and such. So that's that's the one good thing. We don't have to depend on politicians kind of telling us in real time. We can just at the prices instead. Well, you have, you have. Uh, well, I'm going to say the, the price shock. Most of it came from, in one man's opinion, from elevated supply of money in the system. Okay, but you also have. Ooh, hold on, and we can also look at derivatives too and right. see if the <laughs> see if they're right because of volatility and that you know shows you. Well, what I'm saying when it comes to commodities, nothing's static. So you sit there and you say, all right. We, we have an elevated price level all over the place. Will it affect commodities? Will it won't? Probably, but not necessarily, depending on the supply and demand of, of the commodity. Well, now we've we got a war in Ukraine. Now those guys produce a lot of grain. So, yeah, that's a problem. But now that's been going on for eight months, sort of just 
into a full growing season. So now you have everybody worldwide who's got a brain cell working sitting there and saying, well, gee, if ever there's a year I want to, to plant every single acre and to uh, get as much you know out of the acre as I can, that would be this year. So you have the response from the supply side, which is not response you can get in one day, but you can certainly get it when you start out in April or, or, or March. You can get it within seven, eight months of a growth season. Now, are you going to get you know, a million houses built in the, in the eight months of the growth season? The answer there is no. So you're probably not going to get that supply side reaction that quickly on the uh, on the uh, housing side. Or if it's oil, you can't you can't put a new rig up or drill a new hole in probably five months. It probably takes you longer than that. So you're seeing the rig count go up 20, 25, 30 rigs a month. But the supply is increasing there as well. So it's all about all this stuff coming together and every industry actually any product be it corn soybeans or whatever is, is different right right and that's what you try and do use your one on the one you're good at but still now just because you see these prices coming down it doesn't mean they're ever going to go back to where they were two years ago at least any anytime soon they're going to they're going to reflect the money supply growth they're going to reflect the ukrainian shortage but they're also going to reflect the fact that our guys here are busting stuff out of the fields and probably every other place too. So we got all that stuff going on at the same time, correct? Yeah, and everybody has their uh, their access to information and relatively same access to uh, the data. So that's that's a good thing for us, and we can kind of fight it out via the markets rather than uh, actual actual physical wars and stuff. So it helps us in that we can uh, plan for the future and hedge and kind of see things that come. And what does that mean for for uh, not only traders, but everybody? It's, we can kind of gauge those market moves, too, based on uh, things like futures contracts. So we can look out four months, if you want, and tell you kind of where, where prices are going to be and what you can lock in your costs at. So if you need to buy jet fuel and you're an airline or whatever and you don't really know what's happening with oil in four months or with Saudi Arabia or Ukraine or whatever, you can lock in your price far out and, you know, that's one of the better things that we can do in a free market or relatively free market. Yeah, I'm going to say that the further, the further out you go, like if you were, what's, uh, are soybeans November or December? Right now the top step in soybeans are November, so the most contract, the most traded contract is uh, November soybeans. All right, so soybeans are like June and November, and corn is July and December, right? The main months. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, if you were if you were to look out and say the most sober judge of how things are going to land at the end of the growing season, with probably unless we get some horrible weather thing, which doesn't look like we're going to, uh, it's going to be a, a bulging crop. Shortage in uh, Ukraine and a bulge in money. So if you look out to November, well, if December, you drill it down, yeah, if you drill it down to the say individual level, you're a farmer or you're uh, your target or whoever, and you need to buy or not target, but say like craft, and you need to buy inputs or you need to sell, and you've got your amount of cash you have in the bank, and you've got to uh, operate your business. So what does that mean in terms of profits and losses? I don't know. It depends. Everybody's different. But if you want to do deals that are a month out, two months, three months out, 
four months out, you can do those deals today, lock in your prices, and then see how kind of your uh, inputs versus uh, outputs stack up and see if you're going to make any money. And, you know, you can tell pretty quickly what the market thinks in your stock price. And uh, For example, the fertilizer people have, have started going up. If you look at Nutrien and CF, uh, as soon as there were issues again in Ukraine in terms of them firing on uh, the ports, you know, those, <laughs> those stocks just started coming up again because obviously the market thinks that uh, some kind of problem is going to happen or export problem and, and fertilizer is going to become more valuable. So in, all in real time, you can kind of figure out between commodity and equity pricing what we're, what we're planning for out into the future. Well, how much, this is going to sound awful, but it's, it's, it's part of the equation. How much of the Ukrainian loss in terms of crop uh, is real worldwide versus the Ukraine? For the wheat market, which is what kind of we follow here, I think we've made up for most of most of the shortfall in what they either haven't harvested or aren't able to export. So, dominating obviously our emotions, and and yes, there are long term uh, concerns about the next few years. But in terms of this growing season, I want to say that, you know, the supplies versus last year or so are fairly similar. So all these gyrations in price are kind of market or animal spirits, as Adam, and Adam Smith would say. Um, how much has uh, the prices in the, the situation in Ukraine and in a few other places where the prices have got higher than people could afford on a daily basis, how much of it is just... I hate to say this. Are people going hungry? Uh, there's a whole lot of, you know, you got to go down to the individual countries on that. The FAO says, you know, 80 million to 100 million. I think that's kind of low. But again, those prices came down since they, they had those reports. So uh, they would say that's lower. But it's all dynamic. I mean, how much more are they spending on other stuff uh, because of, their inflation in their local country. So you got to look at kind of the individual. Well, you uh, can't eat, you can't eat double today to cover up for a day you couldn't afford bread in, in June if you're in one of these countries. You just didn't eat it, right? And their their money in most cases are getting is is the currency cross is not doing well either. So that's like a double whammy. Not only is there inflation, but they're 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 losing purchasing power. So yeah. What, uh, here. What, what is your estimation? I mean, I don't know. If, I haven't done that much world traveling. I've done none into areas where there's any problems, nor do I ever want to, to be honest with you. I don't know if that's a bad thing, Greg, or not. But uh, what, do you, what, is, what do you suppose life is like in Venezuela or in, in Tur- Turkey? I'll say, is, I'll say somewhat trying to be still normal, although I don't know how you do that with a 70% inflation rate. How much of the society yeah. just drops back? I mean, in Venezuela, this is going on for so long. How does a normal person get on the bus? There's no way he can afford the. Does it just barter? You just get on for free and nobody pays? I mean, what, at some point, what what exactly happens? I don't even know. I'm I, I, <laughs> I'm in awe of some of those people. I wish a lot of them would come here because they're you know, creative in terms of what's happened in the history. You have the black markets and those kind of dominate. So whether it be in Soviet Russia or Cuba or whatever, there's a whole different system that's not officially sanctioned, but they get by and they uh, 
they are much more creative than we are here. Uh, yeah, I think they would, if you, if you drop a colony of 2,000 of those people into, say, a burned-out area in Inglewood, I think you'd have a very thriving neighborhood in about three years. I'm, I'm in agreement on that one. Wouldn't hurt the immigration numbers either. No, I just, uh, I'm, uh, well, I'm going to talk about more with Jack because I want to do it over the markets. But where, could you give us an example of just, don't do all of them, pick three or four of the commodities and kind of give us a number before any of this mess started, peak number and where we are today. My guess is going to be we're still 20% above where we started, but we're 20 to 25% below the peak. Am I close on any of this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, we came all the way down. We went below in uh, in beans. Um, it's really more dependent now on our weather. So uh, I want to say that during the invasion, vol expanded, prices expanded, um, that the volatility suggested it would go up, I'd say, 30%. It did. It went <laughs> went even more in some cases. And then as the situation cooled, you saw the volatility start to come down. Um, we we contracted all the way below. I think we got to, what, 1250 or so? Or I don't know if the situation cooled. We just got tired of it. Is that the same thing as the situation yeah. cooling? We got tired of it? Well, there were a lot of concerns built in because there was a lot of late planting, say, in the grains. Right. So we were thinking that there might have been an actual uh, problem in, in getting those uh, yields up as high as they possibly could be here. So that was an issue. Uh, they, they dealt with it. The farmers got the crops in within a couple of weeks, really. And that was good for prices, so they started coming down. Um, the, the situation was more certain, so in that case, people are more willing to do deals in the future. You see the volatility come down. And now, say, within the next, I don't know, six to ten days, you've got the weather and this heat dome over the majority of the, the central portion of the country. So maybe that uh, negatively affects the crop. Uncertainty goes up. Um, in uncertain times, you know, stocks go down. Usually uh, food goes up, so this, this put, or the skew is for is toward the call in commodities. So we're rallying. We've rallied a buck and a half in the beans. So it's it's mainly it's every day is a new day. So if you're doing deals in the future, if you make bad deals, you're going to lose money. You know <laughs> until that deal. If you're if you're set up to take advantage of some of those swings, I'm sure some farmers have done absolutely spectacular in the past. Uh, maybe two months because they saw their crop go up, you know, 30%, 40%. And if they said in that scenario, hey, I'm making more than I've made in the past, like, six years, <laughs> I'm happy with that. They did their deals four months out or however however much, and now it's come down, so they've locked those deals in, and they can just sit until next year. What um, if, if you're – we used to have uh, some of these guys on the show, who knows, maybe one of these days – you can drag one on or something if you know any farmers. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because we used to, those guys just come to our seminars when we had, uh, they do a lot of commodity seminars, but we did some where the commodities were in there and those guys would show up because they learned one of our trade options and so forth. Anyway, they, uh, I'm going to say once you're, before your crop's even in, if you see a huge spike, I'm just going to be, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, 
if you're not going to use options, which I'm saying maybe you should, actually, I don't know if you knew this or not, maybe before you even came down here, the, de- the Department of Agriculture had a uh, pilot program in Indiana where instead of uh, the farmers selling the futures against their intended crop, they just had them, uh, they gave them money to buy, they gave money or they participated, gave them some of the money to essentially just buy put options. Now, put option means if, if you buy, if, if, if corn is 350 and you buy the 350 put for 40 cents, whatever it happens to be priced, and all of a sudden, you're, the worst that can happen to you is you sell it then at a combined price of 310, right? So, but if the, sti- okay. if, the if the corn goes to like 12 bucks, it's all yours. So the government right. had, had this pilot program for a while, and for and it was amazingly successful. And then of course they stopped it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> farmers loved it. The people I talked to loved it, but they stopped it. But in terms of traditional method, is you you sell your crop, you sell a future. You're not you're not. New, you're not a speculator. Uh, the, the reason why there's a futures contract is because the farmer looks out there and he goes, okay, it looks to me like uh, everything's going good. I'm going to sell my my corn at this November price to come November. Whatever the price goes, I'll, if the price goes up, I'll make it on my corn. I'll lose it on the future. If the price goes down, I lose it on the corn. I make it on the future. Very simple. The other side of the transaction is Kellogg's or Kraft or whoever it is saying, we're not a speculator either. We're going to buy our November futures so we know what we're paying. We can do all our pricing. We do everything else. And, and, the, and the other people, the trader, the people in the middle. But by and large, your, 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 your commodity is the users versus the suppliers, correct? And uh, Oh, definitely. And that's 80 to, I mean, 95% of the market, depending on how far you go out. Not the trades. It's probably, it's probably 10% of the trades, but 90% of the market, right? Um. Not sure I understand. Well, I mean, the, the trades that go on every day could be people calling PTI and doing corn options, corn, you know, corn just speculating on corn one way or the other, or people on the tr- on the floor, well, or people who used to be on the floor, trading back and forth, or people. Yeah, just those people are uh, zero sum. It's intermediary, right? Uh, but the actual people delivering and the actual people taking delivery—that's. That's who the markets are designed for, and those are normally the participants in mind who are controlling the market. Right, but the people in the middle, you couldn't have it if there weren't the people in the middle, because uh, you, you don't, yeah. you, you can't expect the one side Kellogg's to show up the same day the farmer does. So that's the people in the middle do. Right. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, if you're a farmer in the new, we had a slower. We would come March, and you see these prices spike. Well, you probably figure no matter what happens, I'm going to get 20% of my crop in. So maybe you'll sell, I'm just tossing out numbers, and please feel free to, uh, I'm going to sell 20% of my crop forward. Now once you get it in, okay, now you say, all right, I'm, I'm going to sell another 20% or 25%. i am going to sell almost half of it because not, you know, still things bad. Well, now we're talking August 1st, Greg. Now, obviously, you could have a hailstorm over your farm, or we could get, you know, a four-week, 120-degree, you know, dust bowl sort of uh, no-rain deal, which could screw you up big time. Uh, the trick is you don't ever want to sell futures more than you can produce. Where do you think most of these guys are up to? Half? 60%? Now? Yeah. Oh, definitely. You still can't yeah, go more than like... Passed. Yeah, you still can't go like 100 because something bad still could happen. Uh, yeah, 
if we take, say, corn as an example, if you're in early February, uh, say corn was, I don't know, six bucks, and you've, you say you're going to make maybe a dollar and a half or so, you, you've got it kind of planned out for the, for the season, you, you're happy to make a dollar and a half, and you see corn at 620 or whatever it was, you know, pre when everything kind of went bananas. Um, all of a sudden, this this invasion happens. The grains start to go go up, right? So you're you're estimating that say you make two dollars instead. Um, the court, the, you still don't have anything in the ground, but you know that the potential is there. So you start maybe buying your fertilizer and locking that in. Um, you start controlling your costs on whatever else you need uh, for farm and equipment. And then that stuff is kind of locked in, so your expenses are kind of locked in. And you know that you could sell the future out, say, you know, for, you could make $2 a bushel. And whether or not you pull the trigger is depending kind of, or how much you pull the trigger on, it's usually determined on kind of your fixed costs. So if you can kind of cover your fixed costs with only a third of your crop or whatever, or half of your crop, then you might want to start thinking about doing that. You know, because that just kind of makes sense from a risk standpoint. Now, when corn goes to eight dollars, or I think it went up to seven seventy or or something. So, if you go from six dollars in, in a very short time to seven fifty, you know your P and L for the your estimated P and L for the year has changed a lot. So, are you more willing to do the deal then? You know, who we knows? We got a dash here, Greg. Let's continue this next week because yeah. Then you also got it in the back of your mind. You got to say. My worst year ever. How bad did I ever get screwed? You don't really want to go more than that because then you got to deliver what you don't have. That's a problem. Right. Why do you take care of yourself? I'll see you during the week. Uh, SP Futures down 5, Nasdaq Futures down 750. Like I said, we're coming back up here. We're, we're in a bull run. We'll see how long that lasts. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. 
To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom I'm Matt Byrne on the board. I'm still, I'm still trying to get my hands around the annual rate of price appreciation for houses. Fell two percentage points from 19.3 to 17.3, and somehow I'm supposed to be happy about that. I, man, I just I just can't. I'm having trouble with that one. Just saying. You gotta find you gotta find happiness with something. I know, I know, and I gotta yeah. I gotta think about something else. Uh, happy, <laughs> happy thoughts. Think happy thoughts. Happy futures down seven. Uh, actually, there are happy thoughts this weekend. I'll get to that in a minute. Even All though right. there are more shootings in my on a, on a route that I've taken. I'm going to say a thousand times. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it was like the old west on that street this weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. NASDAQ down 17, Dow Futures down 10. No individual stocks going crazy, except for Boeing is up 8 bucks because it looks like they're going to get finally approval for like for two years to deliver their Dreamliner. It, it, those guys have surely turned into the gang that can't shoot straight. I'm, I'm, what do I talk about? A once great company. Uh, over in Europe, DAX up 65.5%, FTSE up 44. Six uh, percent cracking around up twenty four point four. Say we're on kind of a bull move here, and I, I think it's central bank given, but I can't really put my finger on where. Uh, Dow Jones Friday up three fifteen. Dow uh, Nasdaq up two twenty eight, and we've got the S and P up fifty nine. Uh, so the Nasdaq was up like nine percent on a month. So that's pretty big, pretty big bounce. Over in Asia, with the Nikkei up one ninety one point seven percent. Shanghai up six point two percent. Hang Seng up nine. Call that flat. Hang Seng still at the bottom end of this range at twenty thousand one sixty-five. Um, anyway, they don't seem to be get go anywhere. Uh, U.S. ten-year. This is the one that has me freaked out. Two point six five. So we've gone from almost four to two point six five. While we have a, a central bank that's telling me that they're, they're telling us they're tightening. Um, that that doesn't happen. I mean, it just does not happen. Yet it is happening. So something's wrong. I don't know if it's the market or or the verbiage. So we say, Bund unchanged at point. It was 0.82. These guys almost made it to 2%. Same thing happened there. Japan uh, unchanged at 0.18, and they were 0.25 forever. So whatever whatever is being done, they're all in it together. Uh, oil 
uh, down 191, 96.71. Brent down 155, 102, 42. Natural gas down 24 cents, under eight bucks now, 7.89. That thing remains incredibly volatile. We're trading that. You're either on the right, the right sine wave, or you're on the wrong one. Our Bob down to 307, down three cents. We've got gold up another 740, 17.89. Gold's up like 90 bucks in the last week. Silver up 22 cents, 20.42. Copper up three cents. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, 0.03 cents, so it's at 3.57. We've got Bitcoin down 7.42, but still at 23,139. Traded over 24,000. And we've got the U.S. dollar. Euro's up to 1.024, so it continues to climb a little bit after our, our quick duck under up under uh, $1 back to 102.4. Matt, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? Good morning. It's currently 6.37 a.m. on Monday, August 1st, 2022. Let's get you into sports. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs at San Francisco, Cubs lose 0-4. White Sox at home with Oakland, Sox win 4-1. Diamondbacks away in Atlanta, lose 0-1. Tonight, Diamondbacks with Guardians in Cleveland and White Sox with Royals at home. Now for weather in Chicago, currently uh, I'd say solid overcast. It's not going to clean up anytime soon. I expect light rain possible within the next hour. Currently 72 degrees, a high of 88 and a low of 70. In Phoenix, mostly cloudy, 86 degrees, a high of 103 and a low of 86. Now for traffic in Chicago, traffic eastbound on the Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Harlem Avenue. Traffic eastbound on the Kennedy between Cumberland Avenue and Lawrence Avenue. Heavy traffic westbound on the Dan Ryan between 31st Street to the Jane Byrne Interchange downtown. And traffic northbound on the Stevenson between Route 171 to South Kedzie Road picks up again at the ramp from I-94 West to Lakeshore Drive. So we got, Chief. Back to you. John, are you with us? I'm here, Tom. Good morning to you. Good morning. I have a, a fountain of information here, except uh, on this particular one, just as we get through with our crop report, uh, we have a report from the Chicago Tribune. You know... January, even at the University of Chicago, which was, uh, you know, kind of a all for money kind of operation, they still you still had this this idea that if once you once your your study your analysis how's that for a word made it up to upper management you would you would bump into a does the uh, does the Catholic or does the uh, not so much the Catholic but does the English language have a a uh, a word that's synonymous with the Jewish, the word a mensch? Uh, not, not as simple and direct, no. no. And, <laughs> and, you def- and, and it would lack the punch of the, of the Yiddish word, which says it all. Yeah, I can't think of an equivalent, even a phrase, no. that says it justice. What, uh, what is your definition of a mensch? Well, some, somebody does the right thing no matter what, and isn't afraid of being wrong in some people's eyes, but as but as a, a solid living person, a moral person, doesn't hurt other people. You know? Sort of like a Renaissance man can help you out no matter what your problem is. Yeah, and and doesn't like waste time or other people's time, or you know lives a clean life. You know, is a model for other people. Uh, it's got all these connotations to it, but it's it's, it's you know it's a standard that I wish more people lived up to. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean I, a couple of the guys at, at Pullman that were Jewish. That, I said, "What you know? When it's all over, what, what do you want out of life?" I asked one guy one day. He was a real good friend. He goes, "I want to be known as a mensch." <laughs> anyway, the University of Chicago. We, the idea was that once you got up the chain enough, you could, if you get past all the sniping idiots, you would find somebody that would look at your analysis and it was correct. Would do something with it. Um, I'm wondering if we have an adult any place. Here's the, the research. Say there is evidence that uh, what do they call these things? Um, 
uh, toxic forever, forever chemicals have been spread on thousands of acres of Chicago area farmland. Turns out we sell the sludge to farmland to, to grow stuff that livestock and, and people eat. We don't test it for any of these chemicals. Jen, how, how the bleep could we not test it for stuff that's not supposed to be there? Well, there's a will, there's a way, you know. <laughs> there's obviously no will here to... The, uh, if ever you've taken any kind of a, of the, a tour of the Reclamation District and stuff, uh, uh, Matt, um, it's, it's pretty fascinating. One of, the, one of the engineering, it's probably not anymore, but one of the engineering marvels of the world used to be the Chicago sanitary system. And as gross as this may sound, if you just put a bunch of, <laughs> I'll use 100 people to go to the bathroom and you just dump it all in the Chicago River, if you, they call it dilution, 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 right, John? If, yep. if it's just heads down, there's all kinds of little critters on Earth that love to eat what we just got rid of. And uh, eventually, if you made it downstream, you'd find the water clear again and not pollute it, right, John? Right. Now, what the, what the sanitary district did is put all this in, like, big, for lack of a better term, vats, and poured these little creatures, bacteria, in there so in the space of, like, two or three days, they basically do the same work they would do as if by the time the water gets to God knows where, St. Louis, right, or someplace. So they did that. They, they essentially took the process forward, correct, Jen? Yeah. And uh, well, now the problem with that is, if somebody were to take, like, ethylene glycol, the old antifreeze, and dump that down the drain, well, nothing eats ethylene, ethylene glycol. It stays poisonous, like, forever, right, Jen? Yeah. I mean, the worst thing you could possibly do to your to the city, the river system anywhere 30 years ago was to pour your antifreeze down the, down the drain. Mm. I'm sure there's other stuff that I just don't know about that's just about as bad, right, Jen? But it's really... So, so the sludge you get at the end of all this happening... Um, why would anybody think that there's not anything in that sludge except what's supposed to be there? Just cur- out of curiosity. Why w- unless you test it, why would you ever think that, that, that that's okay stuff? Well, you, you have to presume it isn't okay stuff. No. Yeah. <laughs> I just I mean, no, Nobody's really... I mean, there's whole industries that have gotten away with, you know, a lot, getting rid of stuff with other people looking the other way. Pouring it down the storm sewer, um, and you know, or, and, a, and on a huge scale in the past too. So, so uh, it's, still, it's still happening. I mean, the, the average consumer. I mean, if you change your oil, just dump it down the sewer, which I, people do do, believe it or not. But you know, uh, you're, you're screwing it up for everybody. But there's nobody there really giving tickets for it or monitoring. It that I know. I don't. You know, I don't. Out of the two, I'm going to say the antifreeze was a lot worse, and I don't know oh, why. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't know why, but uh, I guess there's, you know, I think there's stuff that eats oil. Yeah, and it, I mean, it does have a kind of, I wouldn't say it evaporates, but it does have, a, you know, a, a, a shelf life where it decreases the more it's dispersed and its toxicity and, and danger to other forms of life, but not like chemicals, you know, that are intense, you know, from the, from the get-go, so they'll, they'll retain their toxicity. Well, we lost... Uh, Two of actually African American major leaders in their fields uh, Bill this weekend, Bill Russell. Yeah, wow. Um, and and uh, Michelle uh, from Star Trek. Yeah, uh, Uhura. Yeah, uh, a huge advance. 
major character for an African American in the 1960s. And uh, and it was a major. I mean, Star Trek basically said that in the future nobody's going to care what color you are, right? Which uh, yeah. which was quite this which was quite the statement in the 1960s. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I like the show, to be honest with you, right, John? Yeah. Uh, David David is one of his Vulcan dude that we liked. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, although he never he never looked as green as as they as, as uh, the Jack always said he looked. Well, I, yeah, there was something very positive, I think, about introducing, um, you know, breaking down the racial barrier in science fiction, um, because, I mean, science fiction has always sort of, you know, thrived because of its sense of what's alien and what's similar and what's friendly and what's unfriendly. Um, that, that was a very astute move, I think, um, to kind of put that into visual and dramatic context for people. And there were other attempts to do it in, not in a, a fantasy world, a science fiction world, with Diane Carroll's series and you know, comedians who became mainstream in the 60s. But the science fiction thing, I think, had a particularly positive effect. It's hard to say why. I can't really explain it myself. But I think it, 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 it kind of normalized racial difference in a way that other forms weren't as successful in. Well, I'll give you an example of what would happen if we didn't fight about that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was a lot easier. <laughs> there was also a, a really great story. I've, I haven't heard. I've heard of you know uh, uh, reading the uh, uh, obituaries, you know, tributes and all that. But I haven't heard a story that I actually heard a while back, and that was uh, that Nichelle Nichols actually had a conversation um, uh, early on when she was you know first season of Star Trek uh, with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, uh, he uh, she was actually thinking about leaving the show because you know you know it was, maybe just wasn't her thing at the time, and he actually persuaded her to to stay on, saying that her role on that show was uh, very important to have that representation of, of African Americans, you know, especially uh, in the future of, of humankind that, that, that she was there. So she, That's uh, good advice. Yeah, yeah. That she was the, that representative. Uh, so, so, yeah. Remember the show, the, the classic, uh, one of their best, I think, uh, the best had to be the one with, uh, what's her name, from uh, Joan Collins, Joan Collins. <laughs> uh, but the one where the, the two guys, they were the, only, they were the only two people left from this uh this, this long gone society. I think they destroyed each other, right? And the two of them were absolutely at each other's throats. And one guy was was white on the left side, and the other guy was white on the right side. And if if, if you looked at them, you wouldn't even you sit there and go, "What's the difference? <laughs> what's what's half white, half black? It's on one side or the other." And uh, I mean, you, you would never even pick up on it until they said, "Oh, that's why we hate each other. We're like two different races." Mm. And Kirk and Spock are looking at him like, "What's the matter with you guys?" Well, ter- it turns out. But they, didn't they end up putting them in some place where they could fight till the end of time or something? Yeah. By themselves? Because there, no, there was no reconciliation. So they stuck them in some, some space-time continuum where for, through the centuries they could fight each other, never kill each other, just had to fight the whole time. Which is, isn't, such a, isn't such a bad idea, I guess, when you come down. Anyway, Jan, we have all kinds of crummy stuff to talk about here on our south side. But the good news is there's a new, new one in the family. My uh, nephew's lovely bride had a eight-pound uh, bouncing baby girl yesterday. Congratulations, Tom. That's great news. Of course, with this group, they're a little slow, so no name, no eye color, but dark hair and over eight pounds and healthy. So I guess that's good enough for, for day one. I'm really happy for your family. Yeah, it's uh, too many girls, though. It's like three in a row. <laughs> well, Just saying. I, I'm not doing my part to balance. No, I'm not. <laughs> Neither am I, but uh, <laughs> just saying. Uh, but... Uh, anyway, the older sister is a trip. So I mean, it's it's. Uh, 
I don't think she knows what's happening to her right about now, but uh, she'll get she'll get the message, I'm sure. All of a sudden, she won't be the only one in everybody's attention. Um, but hey, uh, very concerned about my and your South Side. Uh, just for people, my one of the ladies who well, she hasn't seen seen us before COVID. This series doesn't have breakfast anymore. Um, this African American lady uh, died, Diane, who I've been friends with for longer than I cared of. Still lived in Inglewood with her sister because uh, the sister's son uh, was shot years ago in the in the leg, and then it was one of the first guys here in uh, the U.S. where they used that Russian external cast thing. You know what that is, John? Yeah. yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, they actually put if you've got like pieces of your shin, like he had, they had to like work back together. What they do is they put a cast on the outside. It looks like an hourglass frame, but it's not. And they put a million of these little wires in. They actually hold stuff in the right spot, right, John? It's for, like, yep. shatter breaks. Yep. And uh, he ended up after, I mean, I don't know what hospital did this, but it did a pretty nice job. He ended up walking and stuff pretty good again, but never really got over the mental trauma of it. He was just a regular kid. All of a sudden, somebody shot him, right? And he never was really right mentally. I mean, he was okay, but he never really wanted to work. For, it was bad. And anyway, so she's moved in with her sister to help take care of the kid, and you know, uh, did that. And uh, sweet lady, I said to her last time I saw her, so the violence in your neighborhood. She goes, "Oh, there's nobody left where we live." She's a, she was like, uh, uh, I'm going to say, somewhere between like Halsted and uh, like on 63rd Street between Halsted and right around there. There's nobody there. She goes, everybody. She goes, it's moved west. That's where the people and the money and the gangs are. There's no money left to steal in our neighborhood. I'm thinking, well, that's a horrible thing to say. Well, now, in the last week, um, well, I mentioned everybody went to pick my truck up on the south side. My nephew drives me by 83rd and Racine. We go by a police uh, thing there, yellow tape, and four cops yucking it up, and one guy in this, no, not that they shouldn't have been, one guy, the forensic guy, and I counted 14 of the, well, I didn't count them, but I saw that he was up to 14 on the little yellow things on the ground. I, I saw a bunch of bullet casings. There wasn't anybody watching. There was no NBC. I didn't see any any uh, tape for like where the bodies were and stuff, Jan, but you know, it looked so good. Well, all of a sudden, this is this is Thursday afternoon, like four o'clock. Well, one in the morning, right where you and I close to where I used to live at 87th and Damon, where I drove right by, that's how I drove home from the south side, right past there. Uh, some car pulls out because somebody at 1 30 in the morning, uh, pounds the car with 40 shots, 40 shots, yeah. And uh, what one or two people died, somebody else critical. Then at, at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, I'm driving south. They go, you can't go by 87th in Halsted because there was shooting there at 4 in the afternoon. And then somebody shot somebody on the expressway right near there at, at 11 in the morning and on Sunday. I mean, what, what is this? Now, this area is now single-family home. A lot of people still live there. Actually, I think our, our girl uh, Karen Reeves lives right near there. What is is is, is this... Is the are the gangs moving a mile or two west now, or what? I think they're moving into areas where they see, you know, pickings um, that that have vanished in neighborhoods like Englewood. And I absolutely agree with your friend. That, you know, those neighborhoods are, are pretty much depopulated. I think by by any standards, if you looked at, at you know data, for, say for the last twenty years, just the, the number of housing units that have survived or the number of people living there. It's collapsed in, in a couple of these districts, and w- of course, w- with that, I mean, it, it's made things worse for the people left behind because they don't have. Service.
services anymore. They don't have, you know, any kind of safety either because you're, you're sitting duck if you go out. You're, you're totally visible with half of the block vacant. But, but the, the crooks that, you know, profit off of it have to go elsewhere. So you see it now in areas west of there in, in Chicago Lawn and Gage Park and Marquette Park and south of there in, in Auburn Gresham, um, Grand Crossing, the neighborhoods that have, have, have not suffered the depopulation that Englewood and, and nearby areas did um, are now under threat because you know, there, there are still people living there. There are still businesses. There are still storefront places that can be robbed, going concerns. Um, the prospect is, is not good because it, it shows that it's now you know, splintering away from the more pro- high-profile areas. Um, to some extent, this is what may be driving the, the crime in areas like closer to the center of the city, too. Um, that you may live in Englewood, but if there's nobody to rob in Englewood, you'll go downtown or knock off some places in River North and um, you know, make your quota or whatever the gang is asking you to do. So it isn't like you know crime just is dispersed only. It's, it's it's now intensified too because there's fewer and fewer places nearby that can satisfy the gang's needs. It's all about the power and the money and all these shootings along 83rd and 87th Street. You got to believe are all retributions for people who have done something in that same closed area and are out there just waiting for somebody for some revenge. Um, so it's highly concentrated and it's meant to send signals. Well, Danny, I, I keep, you know, one of the, uh, I guess one of the, the string themes to the show has always been, which of course nobody ever picks up on it, but you probably haven't picked up, is to me, every, everything everything d- is somewhat connected to everything else. There's no, I, I could never do a 5 p.m. news broadcast where I talk about this item and then I talk about the next item like they're they're not somehow connected. The, the total lack of any ability to be competent in the, in the level we, we we can't keep people safe here we can't run the economy in, in Washington we can't this goes back five presidents we can't we can't stop lobbyists and people from stealing from the place we can't hold anybody's senator or representative's feet to the fire for trading that insider whatever it is the, the general population and all you have to do is drive around I mean if we are if we aren't one step away from anarchy, I don't know where we, we've never been here, like, never. And, and maybe during the Depression, except nobody could get anywhere, so you couldn't really do anything. But to me, it's, it's we, we can't, just like we read this story today about this, who gives a crap if the rate of acceleration dropped 2%? I mean, when it, no matter what, if it's going to go up 17% this year in houses, and people's salaries going to go up 4 I, I can't even, the idea that these unions just settled for, I know I'm talking all over the place, but to me, I'm not. This union has settled for 16% over three years. John, who the hell, who's on their side? Were there, were the, were there, were there negotiators on their side or were they on the other side? I mean, it shows they've really drunk the Kool-Aid along with management, too. They, yeah. they know that there's certain numbers they can't even talk about, even though they're the real numbers. The, the, the fact is the real numbers are unmentionable. So nobody brings them into the negotiating room. They don't. If, if they really ask for what they are entitled to, if, if inflation really is taking this much of a bite, sixteen percent would be a starting point. You know, as the lowest, you know, not your target. So, but I mean, you look around, and and I don't know if people don't read history. I mean, you look at this Jane Byrne project. What's it going to be? Twelve years? I mean, if you read 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 about Hoover Dam, read about the Golden Gate Bridge, read about World War Two. What do they have in common? They were all three and a half years. 
and we and it take twelve. The Willow Springs Bridge is going to be two years, two to three. For God's sake, Jan. You, and you know what they all have in common? You drive by and nobody's working. And the more they spend money on these infrastructure bills, the less people you see working on more projects. They've been, they've been farting around on the LaGrange road, road Bridge all summer. They're not even getting one side of it done this year. They're not even close. You, you drive by, there's nobody there. We're, we're worried about people working. They're, they're, what are, so, every, no matter what you look at, John, nothing makes sense. We're trying to hurry up, yet there's nobody here. You know, I mean, there's absolutely no accountability for, for overruns. I mean, you got to think, well, there, there can't have been any realistic budget process for the Jane Byrne interchange because what did they did they budget it over you know 50 years is that what they were planning well i think they're i think they're over it by two and three times aren't they oh yeah well and it's and it but how that could happen you know with, with public money and then somebody not be squawking about it and complaining that that money should have been spent and finished off a long time ago and we got all these other projects that are hanging fire they're also going to take way longer than they should. Heck, you know, the, the more concentrated and focused the project time, the worse it is. When they were rebuilding the Montrose overpass over the Kennedy, that's in my neighborhood here, that was a, th- a three-year project. For, for you know, Montrose is a sleepy street compared to Lawrence or Irving Park or a lot of others. And three years ago, the buses were rerouted. The neighborhood was pretty much you know inaccessible to people who lived around there, except by convoluted routes. Um, for what? You know, and now that the thing is there, you wouldn't know it's new. It doesn't look new anymore. It's, it's been open for a couple months, but all that money, all that time, and this is what we have to show for it. Well, you only have so three or four companies. Won't, it won't collapse next year, but other than that, I wouldn't say it's a shining example of public works. Um, well, there, was a, there was a guy at, uh, at Pullman, actually, <laughs> Sort of interesting, Jan. I, uh, well, I, won't, I won't tell my Pullman story, at least before the break. But uh, there was a guy named Bob Long. Kind of a, kind of a weird-looking dude, but uh, nice guy. We, we, of course, become buddies. And they, they hire him as a program manager, and he comes in. and Well, I don't know if he'd ever done a railroad car contract before, but he'd, he'd, he'd gone pretty much everywhere around the world to do program managing on bridges and tunnels and you name it. And his, in his office, I don't know how many people lug this crap in there, his office, the day he got there, was just loaded with books and pamphlets and, and how to price stuff and everything. And I said, and I go to meet him, and we went up a two-hour conversation. And he goes, Tom, let me tell you, whenever you go out for a bid, if you and your people can't work the bid out for the other side before they do, you got no business. He goes, you see all these books? I give you a bid tomorrow for a bridge. That's those 10 of them over there. It might take me two weeks to do it. But I'll get you a pretty pretty reasonable bid on, on on a bridge in terms of materials, in terms of hours. He goes, I won't be able to tell you, you know, the the engineering of it and how we're going to anchor it and so forth. But I can tell you from 50 other projects how much material, how many hours, and those kinds of things. He goes, and they all kind of end up the same place. He said, because you got to do this for two reasons. And he goes, name me the two reasons. And I go, well, you don't want to pay too much. He goes, well, that's really not the worst reason. <laughs> he goes. If you get hosed by 20% or 15, or he's not talking double and triple like now, because if you get hosed by 20%, eh, <laughs> you know, the thing shows up on time and it's built properly, you can deal with that. Because what you can't deal with is the idiot's underbid. Then they're going to screw you somewhere in the construction and you just don't know where. <laughs> Which I'm sitting there going, you got to be kidding me. He goes, no. He goes, if somebody realizes they underbid, 
all of a sudden the concrete's not going to be right. They're going to be missing this piece of steel, that piece of steel. That's he goes. The smart thing to do is say, "Okay, buddy, you won the bid, but, but basically you screwed up. You can't do it in two years, and you can't do it with this amount of money." This is where we we come out. And by the way, why don't you up the bid to where it's supposed to be? You idiots have you know fifty thousand tons of, of concrete in here. It's going to take you seventy. Who added that up? Some moron. He says you got to work your way through it and correct the damn thing. Otherwise, for the next three years, all your door is looking for where the guy's going to screw you. <laughs> but a whole different view. I mean, our people here should have said, "We're, we're not going to do this in, in twelve years. How are we going to do this quicker? How many do we need other people on the job? Are we going to work weekend?" Plus, he said in Brazil and a couple other countries, it was a federal law that if you were going to inconvenience people, like taking out a bridge, you had to work twenty four seven to get it done. You couldn't, you couldn't have the weekend off and nights off while people drive by the Jane Byrne honking horns at each other. SP Futures down five. Nancy Futures down five. I thought we'd come back. We are. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and a good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 403 2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Wrong, sir. Wrong. Lord of Big Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tamal. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures down 7. Nancy Futures down 13. We keep making a run at positive here. We haven't broken in there yet. Big stack movement is Boeing. Now only up 750. was up 850. As they seem to be hinting that they're going to uh, be able to start delivering 787s. Um, doesn't it make you... If I was actually flying anywhere and 
Hey, when I put my fanny on a 787, would you guys go? I probably would. <laughs> Just saying, you know. Um, I don't. I'm not big on planes. That they aren't. aren't, aren't, uh, aren't, aren't they say now that the Airbuses are much safer. They say whoever the days are. Yeah, well, there's a lot of days want Airbus to. What exactly is an Airbus? How, what makes it different different, different than an airplane? Well, Airbus is only the name of a company that makes the airplanes oh. in Europe. Oh, I was picturing an actual. There's only two people that make. The there's air. only two people that make uh, real planes now: like Boeing and Airbus. Used to have. Uh, used to have D, uh, D- McDonnell Douglas. Used to have. Uh, uh, what was the other guy? Well, Blackie made some for a little while. They made the TriStar. Um, L1011, which is a great plane, but now there's only two. And uh, I don't know if you call I don't know if you call that competition necessarily all that much. So uh, word from our buddies, our buddies at Notre Dame, Xavier Booker, the big guy from Cathedral in Indianapolis, that shows Michigan State, not Notre Dame. We lose another one. Yep. Let's keep sliding away, John. So what uh, the the weekend? I mean, I, I I wonder how much more the market. Let's put it this way: how much more we can have a two-piece economy? We had it for a decade in the twenties until it blew up. You think it blows up this time, or our guys can keep it going, or because we clearly do have a two, a, a totally two-step economy here. I think. Oh, yeah. And once in time, you, uh, it'll just it'll be interesting, you know, to hear what Nancy and Roger have to say about foreclosures nationwide and Chicago in particular. And I just, I just had kind of an epiphany walking around my neighborhood the last week or two, and the number of for sale signs and the number of like lingering listings, you know, things that you think would have sold by now if they were priced right, but the brokers' names are being switched out. There's, there's just there's a, the impression I have of a huge amount of property that people are trying to unload, um, and you know, this intense competition for you know getting rid of stuff. But what's happening too is that Chicago's leading the nation in foreclosures, just in raw numbers. And that's the city, not the county. And I don't. I'm afraid what this portends. I mean, it's 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 not unusual given what happened with the lockdowns and the moratorium and stuff that we'd see an uptick. But why Chicago is ahead of the pack and, and by a fairly large margin, it seems. Um, I'm getting pretty scared about where this is headed. So, well, the uh, again, that, that comes down to where you know who gets hurt and who doesn't. I mean, it, and if somebody. Six months ago, a year ago, eighteen months ago, whatever. Pick pick a recent past. If somebody, you know, not that everybody has to be married or whatever, but uh, you know, snookums and snookums buy the house. They they could have, they're both working. They could afford it. They got a three percent mortgage. Uh, say it was you know a year ago, a year and a half ago. You could probably make the case that under regular rates they paid up for it a little bit, but probably not horrible, horrible. And uh, say they bought it at a at a median price of. Uh, you know, three and a quarter, three forty, which is up from the, you know, the two ninety the year before or the two years before. Well, now that number is run to four sixteen the other day, according to a uh, case shower, and uh, the median home price. If neither, you know, neither of Mister and Mrs. America ever loses their job, or finally they decide to have a family when the guy's making enough, and he never loses his job, or she, he, she goes back to work, and he's whatever happens in today's world. If if they never have a problem, 
and live there 25, 30 years and, or die in the place 70 years from now, uh, they'll never know the difference, right, Jen? I mean, yep. the, everything, everything is, quote, fine. If all of a sudden you put something together where it takes two of you to handle a mortgage and one of you gets laid off, Maybe the other one could work part-time or something and cover the gap, or you stop going out, you stop doing everything else except paying the mortgage. Uh, now, but now your taxes are creeping, not just creeping, they're just going up dramatically. So you've got issues. Your insurance is probably up, what, 10 15% on a year. Uh, your heat bill, you've got your electric bill. We can't wait. I can't believe how much is in this new infl- anti-inflation bill for utilities. Doesn't Commonwealth Edison get enough, Chad? Is there ever enough for these people? Get enough of my money. Yeah, I mean, so, so now those people, but it, it, if you bought a house three months ago and you're on the edge, you put down the minimum down, and now you, and say you paid the 416, and all of a sudden now you either lose your job or find a job someplace else, and you're a forced seller six months from now, all of a sudden this price, it doesn't have to drop that much. If it drives from, drops from 416 to 380, doesn't seem like you and I reading the paper, or reading the study, or the person who's never had a problem with losing a job or anything like that, uh, or, or wanting to change jobs, you don't, you don't even see the issue there, John. It's just, it's just another number that doesn't affect you. But if that's you, and all of a sudden you go, geez, I got this great new job in like Tulsa, this house I just paid 416 for, if I go to puke it out, we're talking 380. Well, that's a problem. If it's if you put the twenty percent down, they just went over half of your quote wealth in the house, or worse yet, if you didn't, you owed a bank and now you got a problem because you don't have it. These numbers, they they land on some people's heads like an asteroid, right? Right. And, and but it's not everybody. Other people that bought it five years ago, what's the problem? We never lost our job. What's the matter with you guys? You didn't put enough down. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. That's not. Or you don't, you shouldn't have got divorced. We stayed together. Whatever it is, you know the, the what, what is the average length of home ownership? Is it like five and a half, seven, something like that? Yeah, and I, you know you got to believe it's it's, it's going to go down before it goes up again. I just I think, it, 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 the, but the, the downside too, and I well I've listened to Audrey and Nancy talk about how that people can't afford rents. Yeah, and this this makes you think. Well, here. These foreclosure numbers tell me that there's an awful lot of people who got invested in home ownership that couldn't swing it. Um, is there any possibility that they'll be better equipped to survive in a high-pressure rental market? I don't think so. Well, to go back 15 years, when <laughs> I was dealing with Audrey back then, uh, and um, dealing with, how's that for a term? Audrey and I were together back then, and you know, her being in real estate, I mean, she's usually... For the people she works with, she's always enthusiastic. I mean, she loves her clients, and she always figures she's putting people in a house. She really doesn't want people to pay up. She finally, she gets what she can, and she's got a real sense of pricing. I mean, she'll say, yeah, this guy wants 650 for this house, it'll, but it's going to go for 620 or 32 high. And I go, well, how do you, it's pretty close. How can you even tell? Oh, no, it's, everybody knows. Sure enough, the thing will go for like 622 or something. You know, like, I mean, she really has a feel for it. Uh, but what, Sometimes she and people in the industry don't necessarily have a feel for is in 2007 because now she's in an area that never spikes too high, never really gets too low. She's in the southwest side, so you never see them going for like a million bucks or anything like that. So it's a it's a fairly steady area. So that's where she gets her idea that, that things make some sense in this world. 
So I dug up this article in 2007, and I go, I'm reading it. I said, oh, this, you know, this is a problem. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, the, the, at the median-priced home now, the amount of money you need to carry it, this, interest rates were 6 pretty much, you know, where are we now? Five, we're not that far away. I said, you have to make over 85, 85 grand a year to afford the home. Somebody does, either a single person or two people. <clears throat> I said, the average, the median salary is 31. Well, that's a problem. What do you mean? I said, well, 15% of the, of the population at the time, 2007, individually now, not combined with a wife or husband or whatever you got, uh, the uh, it, only fifteen percent of the population made eighty five grand, and they went down the list of saying if you worked in the food service industry, restaurants and that kind of stuff, you were under twenty, right? Which is ten bucks an hour or less, right? This is fifteen yep. years ago, and um, if you were in the, they said the normal person whose who, who's butt was in a cubicle downtown, like doing something, or whatever people the cubicles do for big companies. Uh, you know, doing catalog work, doing whatever it was, we're in a 45 range. And if you worked in a hospital, even a decent job that wasn't a doctor was 65 to 70. So virtually all the way down the line, any regular person, you know, be it a bus driver, a policeman, whatever, you weren't at 85, which is what, it, which is the price you needed to be in the median house. Well, right now it's it's 416. Then it was 235. All right, so. What is that? Sixty percent more? No, it's yeah, uh, more than everything. It's pushing eighty percent more. Yeah. So, do we think that the average person now is making one sixty? Not one sixty, one forty-five. I'm going to say new. No. I think it's worse. So, uh, but to ask you and me to say, okay, when when is there a problem here? When 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 do these two trains collide? I don't know, Jan. Now, if the market keeps going up and people, you know. Can 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 pull down can their their four hundred one k is to the moon or their IRA, and they can pull a down payment out of the IRA. Can they can they use that to, to you know to save the wound or save the difference? Maybe, but I don't know if you can count on that. That everybody's everybody's in you know in the market. And, and so last week everybody's up nine percent somewhere else, so they don't care about their salary. You can't you can't make that statement. No, something else that bothers me too in the way this data is uh, foreclosures has, has been spun is that while these numbers include a lot of properties that whether there hadn't if there hadn't been a you know moratorium on foreclosures if there hadn't been a lockdown a lot of these loans would have gone into default during the lockdown or that period you know with or without covid so this is a way of saying well it is like there's anything that's particularly you know time sensitive and what we're looking at now these were some of them were bad loans from the get-go and i have to Ask well, how, how do they know? <laughs> yeah. Look, look at what's happened. Just it, 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 you know, the depletion of people's savings and the, you know, the explosion of, of credit card debt recently. It, that tells me that you know people are, are stretched if they're trying to you know meet their mortgage nut every month. They're having a tougher and tougher time doing it, and they're going you know south in every other corner of their family finances, and that is. You know, a, a phenomenon that I think you can trace back through to the lockdowns as a cause, and uh, you know, it, it created a toxic situation that was going to have to play out in some kind of economic bubble or collapse at, at some point down the road. It was inevitable, but but to say that these were were bad loans, as if you know, 
this is returning to the 2007 mantra that, you know, we should have given these people mortgages in the first place because they couldn't handle it. I don't really buy that, Tom. No. I think these people have been hoodwinked, and they've been handed now a, a situation where, f- for whatever reason, this wasn't in the cards when they took out the loan. They had maybe stable jobs. They had double incomes. They don't have it anymore, and they, you know, they maybe, for whatever reason, they don't have a job at all. Or they've got cut back hours, or, or you know, certainly wages now that aren't keeping pace with inflation. How can anybody hold on to an asset, especially if you have an adjustable mortgage too? Well, I mean, if you, you you mentioned the rent situation. By the way, you also you also mentioned the savings. I keep kicking up this U.S. debt clock. I've not seen a number go down as relentlessly as the savings for family has in this thing in the last year, since all the money was sent out for COVID. We were ninety-two fifty. Is it last Monday when I talked? Now we're eighty-seven sixty-four. So, according to this, we've lost another five hundred hours. This is cash money in the bank per family. That's uh, how many families do we have? Eighty million? Hundred? Probably eighty. Yeah. All right. So say it's a hundred. God's sake, what is that? So if it's five hundred million, five billion. It's fifty billion dollars out of people's savings account in a week. If my math is right. And remember the way they skyrocketed when the helicopter money yeah. first started being dropped, because people were, were trying to do the right thing. I'm not saying that you know everybody behaved sensibly or, or judiciously throughout all these panics, but but they 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 squirreled it away. You know they didn't have to spend it, and they decided that we, we might need it for a rainy day. Well, clearly the rainy days are coming at them fast and furious now because that money's gone. Well, it was also it's it's not a, a median; it's a mean. So if there were, if there was a guy right. or a lady right. that owned a, a company, uh, it was a sole prop. There, there's still some around. They got a million dollar check from the government. You know, maybe it was even a law firm or an accounting firm that that was uh, set up as a as a just a regular partnership, and your share was X. I mean, you could you could skewed this number. Bill, I'll give you the exact definition that they use here. Uh, is um, Liquid cash and personal savings for all U.S. families divided by the number of U.S. families. So it's your, I mean, it's a really gross number that you know probably doesn't mean all that much necessarily, but the fact that it change it's changing is this rapidly in one direction, I think gives us a, and if you and if you look at well, so I've got savings per family eighty seven hundred bucks, personal debt per citizen seventy thousand four hundred nine, not per family per citizen. So if you were to figure that, how many people in a family? Three, usually? 3.2ers, and what's the normal, what's the family these days? Anyway, so even if it's two people, there's $8,700 in savings and $140,000 in debt. That's This is personal debt. Is, is mortgage considered a personal debt? I think so, right? Yeah. Right, so that's not all that. But I mean, I, we're, we're reaching a stage where if all of a sudden people have to start we got here by by this conversation. Got here by you talking about rent. You, uh, do you see you? Um, the uh, if the rent is fifteen hundred, and you and I are the landlords for somebody else, and we're doing the calculation, we're going to want we're at a third of somebody's salary being rent. Correct? Yeah. All right. So that means the person's making forty five hundred a month times twelve is. Is uh, is what forty eight plus six fifty four correct? Right. Right. So now the rent goes to twenty five hundred, which they have virtually everywhere in the last year. 
If you can find a place under 2500 you're doing well. Now, does that mean people have, not, have now gone to, uh, what's, what's 2500 times 12 is, uh, is uh, no, times 3 is 7500 a month, times 12, for God's sake, 70 plus another 6, 83, 76 grand a year? Eh. Yeah, so you're, you're you're getting a roommate, you're getting two roommates, you're getting that kind of stuff. But still, it's not healthy. It's just not healthy. The, the difficulty, too, and from a landlord standpoint, trying to budget your building, if you're looking at, you know, potentially catastrophic increases in your gas, and if you pass your gas bill onto your tenants because you have a central heating system, as the older buildings do, um, and your taxes... Um, and you know the cost of maintenance and everything else, lumber, whatever to repair, to fix up. You, you factor all this stuff in. Any landlord that's, that's trying to break even, what the heck with making money, just trying to break even, is going to have to be pricing their rents at a scale that a lot of people, whether they're you know in sound ground financially or not, can't afford it. There's just no way. So it isn't like there's any safety net. People get thrown out of the the home ownership market because they can't swing it. Uh, they're really not going to survive in the, the rental market that I can see. And we're looking at a, a displaced population that is going to be completely at sea. There won't be any kind of way that they can get anything close to a stable home life with a roof over their heads and also buy groceries and educate their kids and have kids. So I, I just don't, I think this is, this is so carefully calibrated to cause immense pain that it has to be deliberate. It can't just be accidental. I agree. Who, who would have, you know, allowed things to converge in such a way to cause this kind of pain unless they wanted this kind of pain? Well, the downtown area is, at, at the end of the day, I mean, with people working at home, violence on the, on the transportation, violence down here, people just being afraid, j- just not enough people to the point where that makes you afraid. Uh, those kinds of things. At the end of the day, the thing that's killing the downtown is the taxes. I mean, uh, the, the building one seventy five. They just were, were under foreclosure. They haven't, they haven't, they haven't puked that one out though, have they? One seventy. I don't think so. No, I mean it's in the it's in um, proceedings. You know, I don't think there's been a decree yet. So. Is that a specific financial term or is that a floor term? Puked it out. Well, uh, I would say puked it out is a it's a good term, but it means you know one that the strings to the former owner have been completely cut. Right, and then you so just said here's the higher. But then the bidder always seems to be the right person. Yeah. But the, uh, the one of the reasons why the building long before COVID was having a problem, they had a, uh, a CVS. And I'm going to say, John, it had to be, well, I don't know much about CVSs, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say it had to be one of the most profitable in the city. They were there forever. They had the northwest uh, corner. I mean, to the extent that I get prescriptions, I I never got one anywhere else but there. <laughs> I do I do the the pharmacist before he had gray hair. <laughs> you know, I mean they were there for a long time, and I, and I I know the guy who ran the building, and uh, his locker was next to me at the club, and he said, okay, what's going? Why would those guys leave? He says, well, they, they were gone. As big a store it was, Jen. They were gone. Every Band-Aid was out of the place in a week. I don't know how the hell they did that. What kind of movers? They must have people that really know what they're doing. Pack all that stuff on good. Do you know how many items there are in a CVS? Look at it. Yeah, and uh, but they had everything. They had coolers. They had uh, they didn't have like lunches, but they had you know you get bread, you can get 
you need a can of soup, you got the can over. I mean, there's an they are now for food, but mainly prescriptions. And uh, so they're paying seventeen five a month, which is a number. And uh, but they were happy with that. And the, but then they had the triple net lease. And my buddy says they're they're extra money on taxes and electric bill and all that crap because the, the, those just go up with the go up with the lease, right? It was up to two hundred and forty grand a year. It was it was more than the lease. The building I'm in here, and I, and I remember, well, not that many people know where we are, so I can. I think that they've gone from, I'm going to say, two and a half times on their taxes in the last decade. Janet, how do you do that? I mean, what are they doing to these people? You can't. I mean, uh, these every owner of these buildings c- couldn't wait. If they had any idea where that was, they would never have bought these places. You can't even even if you were full, you'd have a problem. Right, you couldn't afford them even if you had everybody you know, leased up to the max. What do you it's think? Just, the, <laughs> this is the, the conundrum, Tom, and I, I I just don't see it. Um, there's there's not enough of an outcry to really make a difference, and we've got bloated. The Jane Bird inter- interchanges is one example of how you know spendthrift the government has become, especially with with other people's money. Oh yeah, and and it is it isn't about you know any, anybody ever paying a price for this except the people who can least afford to pay it, um, who get crunched and and chewed up and nobody cares. But um, this to me would be you know. <laughs> Being the assessor of a county like Cook County, or practically any county you can name, is you know, <laughs> what what kind of a job are you really entrusted with there? You've got to milk fantastic sums of money out of people who can't afford to pay it in order to provide ludicrously overcharged services and, and for meddling in other people's lives that people don't want anyway. So we got this machinery. People are paying for it to can consume ever more and more of their bucks and take away more and more of their comfort and freedom. I, it's, this is a, a lose lose situation. I don't think any assessor expecting to be elected is going to say this because what, what kind of a ticket is that to run on? But it, but this is exactly the kind of system they're upholding, and it can't sustain itself. It can't work for much longer. It, it, it's just, it's not designed to be a long term prospect. It's, it's going to dry up. It's going to freeze people out. You'll have wastelands before you have developing metropolis. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this before. I might have mentioned it on the air before once or twice over how many years. A uh, long time ago, you know, we were doing business was good, and uh, uh, you know, we, we were, this is when we were doing our protected index program, and everybody loved it before the Obama came in, before the interest rates went to zero, and it kind of torpedoed the program for a while. Of course, now everybody wants back in, but uh, because everybody wants to be protected with this crazy market. Actually, not as many people as you would think, but a lot of people do. And uh, this guy comes in, and he, he says, I just want to come in. He goes, eh, you know, my, pretty much everything is uh, tied up with something at work, so much as I'd love to do your program, I really can't. He goes, I just want to come in and meet you, and blah, blah, blah. And he says to me, you know, those are two in the air. I, I said, you, he said, you like your clients? I go, yeah. He says, you know, and the, he says, but the markets, he goes, all of a sudden, it's, these big firms looks to me like they're the ones taking over. And I go, yeah. He says, you know what? Why doesn't a guy like you, who obviously knows people, and he goes, I'd be happy to help you out because I'm kind of connected. You've got to get tied in with government someplace. Because whether you manage some of their money, whether you whether you serve breakfast at the jail, whatever it is, and as disgusting as it sounds, that's the future. If you're not part of this government becoming part of everything life, 
you're, where you're insulated, you, you'll, you'll as long as less, unless you show up, like throw throw you know tomatoes at the mayor or something. You never take it away from you. Get a, get a restaurant at the airport, whatever it is, because I can help you. He says, get rid of this. He goes, this 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 is you know as much as you like it, as much as your clients may like you. This this isn't the future. The government is the future. And I looked at him, and I I didn't really think he was wrong necessarily, Jan, but. But I wasn't about to change what I loved and get rid of the clients I like. I mean, I, I, you know, but I mean, God, talk about right. If, if you're in that bill, anybody who's going to be successful in the next 10 years at anything, unless you happen to be Google and someplace where they're probably in the bill to beat the band, you've, you've got to be in these bills. I mean, you, you've, you have to have a name, you have to have a spot where you're going to get a check from these guys. It's how many billion dollars? It's what six hundred billion dollars in the last five weeks? Six weeks? These two bills? I hate to say it, Tom, but I think that that's all by design, too. Sure it is. Because because as, as government has gotten more and more under the thumb of the movers and shakers in various industries, it's all about putting the squeeze on the, the people who are trying to survive and do what they like to do, and it, it, you make it so so impossible for them to do it, so economically unprofitable to do it, that the government becomes an arm of the, the, the leaders, the movers and shakers, and a willing participant in the destruction of everybody else in that industry. <laughs> well, but I mean, you'd be better off, especially a guy like you, uh, become become a, a minister or something online and say that you're going to do a program in some neighborhood to mitigate the effects of pollution in Inglewood or some crap and get a million bucks. God doesn't even know what you do, but as long as you and, and who cares how I spend it? Either. Yeah, but I mean that's that, that's. I mean, we, we're going to give utilities money, really? Oh, did you, we only got a minute? Did you see the Germans are actually thinking of having a big, highly contentious vote over whether they should really turn off their last three nukes at the end of the year? John, how could there even be a, a debate on that? They're out of their mind if they do. Well, and the fact that they're you know opening up to a vote makes me think. <laughs> There's some really clueless people running that show. Yeah, what, 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 Matt, you're a young guy. What would possess you if they're turning off your natural gas and you've got no electricity to turn your nukes off? <laughs> I don't but know. They, I think they expect people to do it because they've been hoodwinked enough to respond that way, and then they can blame it on the people when, when you know, Armageddon starts marching down the road. Hey, it's 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 insane. Well, Jan, have a good week. You know, may, you know, maybe I'll see you this week. You know, I hope, Tom. Oh, <laughs> Let's be viewers on thirteen. Nancy viewers on twenty-eight. Be like, be right back with our with our friend Nancy. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and a good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. So sorry to interrupt. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures down 16. Nancy was down 38. We were here, here when we came in and we made a rush towards zero. We got almost unchanged and then we backed off again here, which is a little a little strange. Dow Futures down 71. Like I said, the big stack uh, going up here today. It's, it's fight. That's why the Dow is not down very much. It's Boeing's up 736. It looks like they might be going to get the approval to deliver 787s again. I, Man, I, I've never seen pictures of where these guys are parked, like the 737s, but, mm-hmm. man, you got a plane sitting out there for a year you haven't delivered. I wonder how many hours it takes to get the thing ready to to, to fire up and fly over to somebody. It, God, it, can't, be, it can't be too easy. It doesn't happen overnight. No, I'm that. thinking it doesn't. Over in Europe, DAX up 67.5%, FTSE up 38.5%, CAC around up 21, it's only 0.3%, but the bullish moderately over in Europe. Uh, Friday, we were up huge. Dow was up 315, S&P up 57, NASDAQ up... 228. The Nasdaq was up like 9% in a month, so it was a big month for the market. Uh, Asia, Nikkei up 191.7%. Shanghai up 7. Call that flat. Uh, there was a private survey that said China's factory activity grew, even though the state number I think said it was down. HSBC shares are up 5%. Hong Kong, Hong Kong is only up 9, 9 points, so that's that's not even 0.1%. They're still at 20,165, which is Somewhat the low end of the range they've been in. Uh, bonds up five uh, basis points, but still 2.69, real low. Bund a positive 0.85, again down from the 175 or 18 it was a few weeks ago. Japan 0.18 unchanged. We've got oil down 284, 95.78. Brent down 221, 101.76. Natural gas down 25 cents, 7.97. Our Bob down five cents at 305. I still. After searching around, paid four ninety nine, which has got to be a buck and a quarter higher than Indiana or any other state. I don't know what they're doing around here, but this uh, 
There ought to be an investigation, I say. Uh, gold now up eight bucks, eight forty to uh, seventeen ninety, pushing on eighteen hundred. It was going below to seventeen hundred, maybe five trading days ago. Silver up thirty cents, twenty fifty. Copper up 50, up one cent, three fifty eight. We've got crypto Bitcoin is down six forty seven, but still it's been up, still over twenty three thousand, twenty three two thirty four. We've got the U.S. dollar versus the euro. Uh, the euro is up four thousandths to one oh two two. So. You know, staying pretty, I won't say far above the one dollar mark, but no, no, no threat of going below uh, one like it was a few weeks ago. Uh, Matt, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? Hey, good morning. Currently 7:36 a.m. on Monday, August 1st, 2022. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs at San Francisco. Cubs lose 0 to 4. White Sox home with Oakland. Sox win 4 to 1. Diamondbacks away in Atlanta lose 0 to 1. Tonight, Diamondbacks with Guardians in Cleveland, and White Sox with Royals at home. Weather in Chicago, currently a very solid overcast. Uh, don't expect that to change much through the day. Uh, humidity at 90%. Currently 73 degrees, a high of 88 and a low of 70. In Phoenix, mostly cloudy, 86 degrees, a high of 103 and a low of 86. Now for traffic in Chicago, traffic just starting to pick up a little bit uh, a little bit more, actually. Uh, light traffic eastbound on the Eisenhower between 1st Avenue to Austin Boulevard. Uh, again, that picks up at uh, Independence Boulevard to downtown. Uh, traffic westbound on the Eisenhower between Central Avenue and Desplaines Avenue. Uh, traffic eastbound on the Kennedy between Cumberland Avenue to Lawrence Avenue. And traffic westbound on the Kennedy between Lawrence uh, Avenue to West Bryn Mawr. Uh, traffic westbound on the Dan Ryan between 31st Street to the Jane Byrne Interchange downtown. Traffic northbound on the Lakeshore between East 18th Drive to Randolph Street. And finally, traffic northbound on the Stevenson between South Central Avenue to South Pulaski Road. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. Do we have Miss Nancy Longgram? Yes, we do. How are you? Good. How are you, Tom? All right. Did your did your partner in crime tell you that uh, we've added another female to the family? No. My nephew's a lovely bride, the teacher, math teacher. Had a little bouncing baby girl, eight pounds and something something yesterday. Wow. And what is this something something's name? See now, my nephew's not, they're not that advanced. We have no name yet. We don't exactly have an eye color yet, but she has dark hair. And she's healthy. Well, eye color can change, so. Ten fingers, ten toes, everything's fine. Well, where was she born at? Uh, she was at Christ with the first one and this one. And uh, I said, I said, you have to walk by uh, everybody's shot in the, <laughs> the emergency room. He says, no, it's a totally separate building, totally separate entrance. You never even see anybody else. Oh, really? Yeah. I would not have thought that. But uh, I, I, his, his, my nephew's wife is absolutely a spectacular lady. I mean, I really, really, she's been the best thing that's happened to their family in years. And uh, she's a dedicated teacher. The one little daughter they have, she's, she's nuts, but she's lovely. And uh, she, shall we say she's uh, energetic. Uh, I don't think she's ready for the sister, but uh, we'll see. And, uh, How old is she? Um, oh, she just... She just turned five because I asked her, "Are you sure you're not six? And she says, "Nope, I was four for a while. Now I got to be five for a while." <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, that is so cute. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay then. <laughs> so, anyway, that's, really? Yeah. So that's what, knows it. well. Well, your mom's a math teacher, I guess. You know, that's what happens. And uh, she can coach the bears. But you know, she she's been wanting to be unpregnant now for about three, four weeks, and. And uh, I don't, I don't like, I don't like to see that stuff go over. I mean, I know, I know nothing about birth and babies. The only thing I know is there's no such thing as a routine landing or a routine delivery, right? 
I mean, there's always something with one of them, and you're just happy when they're over and everybody's healthy. Well, you know what? When you think about it, all the women in the world just have babies every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you say to yourself, all right, what the hell's going to happen to me? Because so many die, so many, you know, are in labor for four days. Well, you know, I, you had know, a, all the I have a friend from, uh, I haven't seen him in ages, but really good guy. He's a year behind me at Notre Dame. And uh, I, I don't know what, he, something happened to his first wife. So he marries this other lady, and they're, they're doing fine. As well. I'm going to say something happened, and she died. And uh, and uh, he has he has one kid, and then he marries this lady with two kids. So now they're having a baby. The two of them uh, goes to the hospital. The baby dies. She dies. And the next day, the the, the strange hubby comes and picks up the two kids. So he goes from having a wife oh, and, no. and four kids to him and his kid by themselves. And losing the oh, baby God. and the wife. I mean, it's like, what the hell? So, we're, like I said, there's no most landings are fine, but they're not routine. <laughs> you know, there's, no, they're not. And, Boy, uh, that's a sad story. Isn't oh yeah, it? oh yeah. Nicest guy. I mean, couldn't meet a nicer guy. And uh, anyway, the uh, so you, by the way, we've had two guests on already, all saying Nancy's going to tell us all about the housing market and people jumping from rents into housing and and uh, did, I don't know if you were listening earlier about. Uh, what's the lady's name? Um, uh, God, I'll, I'll dig it up. It doesn't matter what her name was, but she wrote the article regarding housing prices have slowed from a pace of 19.3% growth in the year to 173 so we're starting to come down. I go, we're not starting to come down. That's the that's the second derivative, for God's sake. You know, the, uh, the, the rate of increase is dropping. So, according to this article, in the last month, the, the Median home house prices up to four sixteen. I don't see people's salaries going up that much. And how the hell are you still getting people in houses? I know you are. You know, I'm seeing people that are switching from renting to purchasing, and I do not believe home prices are coming down. I just don't think they're selling as fast. But if you still have a home that's turnkey, they're going. Yep. It's the ones that are not that are taking a lo- taking longer, and then of course your your person who's changing from a renter to a buyer, he really can't afford to fix up. So, um, if it's something you know, if it's just let's say it's clean and everything's where all the mechanicals are working, there's nothing really wrong with it. The roof, the windows, they're all good. You can see people buying those, but the ones that are really in need rehab, they're not going. That's what I see more than anything. And that probably was in phase one when everything was just going in a weekend. You know, same deal, but now you can kind of sift through it more because the volume is down. Well, you don't have... The amount of volume is down. My, my interpretation of what you just said is people are coming from renting to buying. It's not like they've got a hundred grand in a the bank. They're putting down 70 of 30 to fix it up. They got... They got Nothing past the down payment. I mean, they're they're right in their last their last. Nickel. Correct. I mean, they're lucky if they have the three, three and a half, or five percent was ever required, depending on how it's worth, and they are taking it out of their four hundred one k's to get there. But they're also the rent the rent they're paying. Like someone's paying a thousand, they're going to go to fourteen hundred. Twelve hundred is going to go to sixteen hundred. For that kind of money, you can get into a home. What is so a you can get in? You can get into something for like. Thirteen hundred hours all in. Well, what are you? What are you anticipating in some of these areas? 
what do you, what do you anticipate the increase in taxes are going to be? Oh God, Tom, that is the question of the week, isn't it? That's going to be our New Year's present. I heard they're just going to put a, They're not going to let those bills go out because of the election. They want everybody to be happy. And then they can't do it to them at Christmas because that's just too obvious. So New Year's, we're going to get these bills that we're actually due in August to pay, and then we're going to have February's to pay when they come out. So I have no idea what they're going to do. I've heard they're going to really increase them, and then I heard people saying that um, they're not. What have you heard on the street? Well, the, the, the city of Chicago allegedly went to a CPI increase last year. <laughs> so... They're going to go up, what, 10% on their own if they don't scale them back. I, you know, just, mm. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not exactly somebody who's, who, who, who foments a revolution so much, Nance. I mean, it may sound like it once in a while, but I think we really need to have every regulator in our industry, maybe even in yours, get fired and have to work in the industry for a year, and then they go back to their old job. And I think that people who have been only worked for government their whole life all need to be fired and have to go get another job for two years before they go back. And the idea that there's still, we had one of my worst guests ever. Uh, I had somebody, he was ahead of the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the attitude really was, you know, well, I, I'm going crazy when I start doing stuff like this. You ever, you ever talk to a farmer, like in terms of their crops, or a trader in terms of how well they're doing? No trader has ever made a dime ever, and yet they're all they all adult, right? No farmer, no matter right. what happens, it's not quite enough rain, it's not quite enough fertilizer, some snake got on one piece of his property. <laughs> There's always something wrong, right? And uh, right, and just like, but the flip side of that are people who work for the government. The rest of the people, all they do is complain about not having enough money, but I just send out the bills and raise them, and somehow they find it because most of them come in and. They were they were they were lying to me the whole time. They didn't have the money because they really did. Because here I got the check. That's that's their attitude. And well, this guy's anyway. I said you know when these I said the pensions are so big, there comes a point where the rest of the people can't pay them. I said you know and, you, and the idea that you're just going to keep raising taxes to pay for them. He goes, you can always raise taxes. They always got the money. Yes, they have to pay them. Well, any thought of of who was who was sending the check that doesn't even know what a pension was. So the idea that on their mind is, we have our deal, and our deal is you guys got to pay us, and really, I really don't care. Plus, I think you're lying to me in, in the first place because I think you actually have the dough. Just, just like me knowing that the farmer is actually going to make money that year, or knowing my trader buddy with the new Mercedes actually did did have a winning day last year. <laughs> sort of the same thing. But my attitude, I knew these guys, so I was correct. I don't think they are necessarily. I don't think they care. That's the bottom line. I just don't know, but let's see what's going to happen. But, time you still have people in forbearance from um, the COVID stuff. Yeah. There are people that still have not made their payments, and they're trying to add it to the back of the mortgage form. They're trying to accommodate. So I just don't see how all of this helps anything. No, I mean, you're, just, you're just causing, if the person, in other words, the person doesn't have their $1,000 a month to pay for their mortgage, Okay. And then, you, and then you let them go for three months, okay? And that, then you say, okay, there's six months left in the year now, so we'll we'll, we'll raise it to fifteen hundred, and then it'll be okay. If they didn't have a thousand, how they get it to fifteen hundred? Well, that's. It's, I mean, the, the, the logic of having 
of 18% credit card rate and you miss a payment because you don't have the money to raise it to 30. I've always wondered what that logic was anywhere. You know, just... Uh, yeah. So it, it's just like you said about the gas before I came on when you said, well, I bought gas for five. I bought gas for four-something, 489, 470, something like that. Um, and then I found and the gas station was, like, jammed. In fact, I almost thought, Jesus, somebody's going to hit my car. But... Why is our gift card so high? I'm sure it has something to do with this neighborhood blend. Uh, in Indiana, it's, I think we're, I think they're like 380 or something. I think it's a well, the, the reason the seasonal blend. Aren't they making enough money on us on that tax? I mean, what the heck is going on? Well, the biggest the biggest beneficiary of high gas prices is the government. It's the only it's the only place where they they charge you sales tax on on top of the other tax. So they're charging you ten percent on top of the twelve cents the state you pay the state. I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And then every road's under construction. Every bridge is under construction. Oh, yeah. Sure, on the south side. Well, every bridge. When you, uh, defi- and then there's nobody there all day. Yeah, define it. Yeah, define under all construction. All for no reason. Yeah, nobody's working. Nobody's working on it. It's it's closed off. <laughs> But it's not really under construction. Hey, uh, we had a specific request from Mr. Flanagan. Um, says the Chicago area is now leading the nation in foreclosures. Uh, have you have you done any spotted that at all? I don't think that's no, in your and Audrey's. I have eight. not. I don't think that's happening in your area, is it? Not that I have seen at all. No, I have not seen that at all. I don't. I I have no idea where that came from. I mean, are they talking about the Chicagoland area, or are they yeah. talking about a specific... I think they're talking about the whole, the, in know, general, it could be... The whole state? I think it must be the statistical area, which extends, you know, way to hell all over the place. But i got to believe in somebody... i got to believe in somebody's neighborhoods. Your Inglewoods, your, you know, what's the one where Audrey and I were trying to... She was trying to sell a place out in Park Fort. i got to believe those areas, they got to be all... It's got to be rampant. Because the taxes... Well, I think it's Stager. Something like Stager, maybe. Yeah. Well, what was the, where were we? Just what's the place just south of Chicago Heights, which is horrible at the time. They, they had a couple of the big uh, uh, malls down there go under, and she sold some person a house for fifty six grand, and the taxes were fifty five hundred. Yeah, yeah. I I have heard that. I have heard that, and and that kind of blows them out of the category, but. And see now there there's where the assessor should be going back down, but I'm not sure how they do that with the school districts and I don't think think you can. I mean this most people will be shocked at this. But when uh I was growing up, uh you were you were too young, Nancy. Uh, uh Flossmore was the second highest property value in the state, right behind I believe Kenilworth. And now okay. F- Flossmore I don't know if you've ever driven through there, it is gorgeous. That Olympia Fields, Flossmore was a high end one. Olympia Fields almost as nice, but there's homes there that you could not reproduce for a million bucks that you can buy in the mid twos because the the, the, the taxes are like thirty five grand. Wow! Because they, they they want the school system still to be top notch, and they don't have any. There's no industry, and the mall's closed. When you walk in, you say, "Oh my God, what's what's the catch? How can I buy this place for that?" And that's the catch. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, t- the taxes. I mean, uh, when you when you, when you you see somebody and you put somebody, I'm not saying, you know, that anybody does this. You put somebody in and uh, 
what what if the tax is eight hundred a month and all of a sudden next year they're gonna be like fifteen hundred? How many how many people in the last year would you say that you've gotten mortgages to where that's gonna be a problem? A lot or a few? All of them. All of them. Okay. All of them. I mean, you can't you can't do that to somebody. That's doubling their that's doubling their mortgage. I mean, usually for the most part. The average mortgage now is running people like three thousand a month, thirty two hundred a month. That's just the mortgage. Uh, the all in taxes, insurance, and um, it's running like thirty two, thirty three hundred. I mean, time when we were younger, that would've been like, oh my god, we would have had you know, our parents would have been bringing in oxygen for us. Right. So that would have that would have uh, three thousand a month. It's supposed to be what thirty percent of your gross. Uh, yeah, yes, sir. 28%. All right, so times times three. How many people make nine grand a month? No, that's just it. I'm just saying it's it's just unbelievable how it's turning out. I see, I started to see car payments go up to 800 a month. Well, the, the car payment stuff is insane. Uh, what it, the, isn't on used cars now last week? Matt, were you here? Was it 17% or underwater? Or, 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 in, or not, what's when you don't pay a month? What do they call that? You're, uh, hmm. you're, you're behind in your payments. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I have heard that it's a very hard line. That if you're two months late, they're going to come repossess your car. No, yeah. the night is just won't be there anymore. Well, you know, because you know, they can still used cars are still needed, so they'll just come take it back, and that's the end of it. Well, you know, they they can make a key for it. They don't have to jump it or tow it. They just pop in and drive it. Because they, they know you. Because to get a key now, you get most of the time you got to go to the dealer. If you have the VIN number, you can get the key. And if you that got, I did not know. And if you got OnStar or something, you can stop you from starting it. All I know is that if, if that right now the rule is, I, I mean, it's if you are more than sixty days late on your sixty first, sixty second day, the order goes out that you know you're gonna they're gonna go repossess your car. I had a. If it's a used car, not a new car. New car, they'll give you a little bit more time. Yeah, they will. A lot of times, the down well, they're not getting much down payment, but with these used cars, they're so ridiculously expensive. I, I don't know if you. I got a question for you. If you, if you say a guy like me, if I come across an old truck, I still look at him. I haven't bought one in years, but I, who knows? What if I did? Uh, what if I get like a, a red regular pickup with like a stick shift just to piss Audrey off? What do you think? No comment. Anyway, okay. I said, "You're going to piss her off with a red stick truck." Yeah, go ahead. You know that that would do it. <laughs> Did not know that. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, she hates red. <laughs> I don't think she'd be too happy with a stick. Anyway, so if, if I went and did that, and the, and the Kelly Blue Book is is eight grand, and somebody wants fifteen, and I go, "Okay, here's fifteen. What happens if if somebody whacks into me on the way home, or somebody steals it? Do I get eight or do I get fifteen from the insurance company?" I think there's a special there's a special writer that they put on for that. You have to ask for it, and then there's a special writer that they'll insure over it because that's what you paid for it. Well, my 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 niece get back to real estate here in a second. My niece was uh, unfortunate. Well, fortunately, everybody was okay, but they got somebody came in and cut off a truck on the Eisenhower, so the truck pulled over and squeezed them up against the Elb thing. Oof. But they fortunately okay. not enough to where either was injured. Uh, but the car is totaled, right? And the, they they had just bought it, used 
um, like four months before. It's like before COVID. They maybe bought it February of COVID. And when COVID came in March, the insurance company gave yeah. them 20% more than they paid for it. And still, if you went online and looked for the same year and model of the car, the same condition, they were 25% below being able to replace it. How scary is that? There is supposed to be a special coverage now that you can get for that gap. There's well, a gap coverage. I mean, they, they, they were actually, they paid, say, eight grand for it. The insurance company goes, here, we'll give you like 96. As prices are going up, okay. So they go online, they go, whatever it was, a Volvo, something, something here. They're like all 12 or 13. They weren't even close to, you know, anyway. But uh, but the housing, uh, where, where do you think... You know, you and I, and, I, and I, I, I'm sort of disagreeing with you guys a little bit. But then again, I know you, you know you guys know your terrain and your people better than I ever could possibly. I mean, I honestly believe that. You guys do a terrific job. When Audrey says this thing's 650 to 30,000 high, within 90% of the time the thing goes from 618 to 622. I mean, she's good at her stuff, and you're right with her. You know, just what these places are worth. But how come I see, I see this huge collision between these these median prices going up and people's median income not, I actually think it's worse than 2007 in big numbers. Nance, and I see these two planes coming together in the air sometime soon, and you and I, I think things were getting, to the, were, were getting to the extreme, but you don't see the same collision I do. Is it because your area isn't, isn't out on the limb like some of these other areas, or why are you guys not as concerned about it as men? I know you are a little bit, but not, not huge. Why is, there, why is there a spread there? Well, supposedly you can't repeat 2007, 2008, right? 2009. You can't because of, the, um, you can't because of the, the leverage on the mortgages. I'm talking just about the basic numbers and how the, the, the housing prices have outstripped people's salaries. Just on that basic number, I think we're worse. I, I, I would tend to agree with what you're saying. I mean, in... The, the question is, when is the correction coming, and then how bad will it be? Well, if, if at all. Well, if the housing I mean, prices More drop, and more people are thinking that they can work, uh, live anywhere now, anywhere, because they don't have to go to work anymore. Well, did you see the list of, we only got a minute, Do you see the list of the actually really nice cities that are offering you 20000 to move there? No, I did not see oh, that. God. Where is that at? We, 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 uh... We should pick about eight of us that are that are good buddies that we should head. Uh, where the hell are we here? Morgantown in Lewisburg, West Virginia, uh, twenty thousand bucks estimated. Greater Rochester, New York, Southwest Michigan. Now that's not far. Large Dunes, visible. Noble, where's Noblesville, Indiana? Fifteen thousand. Uh, Harmony, Minnesota. I'm not so sure I want to go any colder. Twelve thousand. Mattoon, Illinois, eleven thousand. You ever been to Mattoon? I haven't. No, uh, I have not. Uh, Topeka, Kansas, but. This, this place in West Virginia is supposed to be gorgeous. Twenty grand they're going to give you if you if you can work from home and, and just want to move there and live. They'll give you twenty G. A ca- I have not heard this. cash stipend of twelve grand and undisclosed gifts and incentive valued at eight grand. Wow, what's that like? Wow, uh, cards at the local Walmart or what? But <laughs> something must be. That's unbelievable. I have never heard of this, but that is a great deal. Yeah, Rochester. You know, they got a l- too much snow there. Full-time remote employees who live more than 300 miles from downtown Rochester can work in the U.S. and are able to relocate within six months of acceptance into the program. 
$10,000 relocation incentive and up to $9,000 in home buyer's incentive. Well, I wonder if you have to pay that back. I don't think so. I don't think so. I wonder where in southwest Michigan. There's some pretty nice places there. Mm. What the wow. hell? Well, Nance, thank you very much. We're, we're all right. packing up to leave. All right, give, give, <laughs> us a sh- give us a shameless plug. Uh, Nancy Longgram at 708-341-9601. And call me if you have any financing questions or if you're renting. I would, uh, I would say call Nance. I mean, she's the best. Nance, you take care of yourself. SB Features now down 27. NASDAQ Features down 68. We got we we scrambled back to zero and then we fell out of bed again. Uh, but still, we've been up all last week. We'll see what happens with this one. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Time to time, everyone goes bust. You'll be back in the game before you know it.